0: life worth living a life worth living if you remember a quick recap we'll only do this first few weeks I won't do a recap all the time but a quick recap today we head back in it's the Apostle Paul's affectionate letter a thank you letter to the Philippians 10 years after he's planted that church now he writes back to them uh, we've been calling it a supercharged missionary support letter as he reports back to them on what's going on uh, in his life as they have supported him financially and through prayer, he reports back to, to them. It's a joy-filled letter, hence our theme, the center of joy, as we're finding out what is the center of joy, what gives joy in life. Uh, it's a warm, it's a relational letter. Uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul, as he said, to our first, his first European church plant. And Paul in this letter has a great concern for church unity, a great concern for unity around the gospel and Jesus Christ. It's so evident as we're even kind of coming to the close of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 next Sunday. Uh, he's got such a concern for unity around a couple things. Jesus Christ and the gospel. Um, and so he, he uh, makes that so imperative and evident in this letter. A couple Sundays ago we discussed uh, after he had greeted them, after he would encouraged them, gave them a ministry report. In that process he gave us three keys to staying joyful while serving in ministry. So today we jump back in to uh, what makes a life worth living. So if you have your outline, grab it, follow along. Hopefully it'll help you for those visual learners and those that like to take notes and fill in. Hopefully you've got your text open in front of you as we will let God speak from His Word. It's where He speaks most clearly. When we open God's Word, He speaks. And uh, um, that's why we do that here at Bethany Church and teach through it. All right, this morning we'll see Paul's going to continue his missionary update. Uh, this missionary update portion of the letter back to the Philippian church uh, by modeling what it looks like for us now to have a life worth living and a life worth dying for Christ. That's what he's going to show us. What does it look like? We're going to see two characteristics, really, of what it looks like to have a life worth living and dying for Christ. All right? So this, uh, this Saturday last night, actually, was the first Saturday since we've been here where we didn't have some really unusual, like, disruptive event late on Saturday night before I was getting ready to preach at church on Sunday morning. This was the first Saturday um, that we didn't have one. But as I said these first few weeks uh, in this new series, I'm sharing a little anecdotes about our transition uh, into Canby. It was last Saturday night, about 11 o'clock. I went out to, uh, at 10.30, so I went out to get a drink of water right before bed in our kitchen. And I walk in front of the kitchen and open our fridge and get some water inside. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see something dart across the kitchen floor. I did one of those, oh, you know, if you want to see me. I, you know, I don't think I threw the cup, but I was like, you know, just kind of jumped. And all of a sudden, it kind of dawned on me. I yelled, "Mouse!" You know, Robin's back in our bedroom, and uh, she comes, you know, running out there uh, to the kitchen. And uh, you know, we cornered it. It ran from our kitchen to behind our children's little play kitchen. So it went from one kitchen to another. And it was underneath it, and so uh, we were there. We we got you know it's now it's like eleven something. I'm Like well, I gotta get to bed. We got church tomorrow, right? And it, it's hiding there. And it, it really was kind of a comical scene. Uh, I'm standing there with a um, fireplace shovel, you know, for a fireplace, one of the tiny ones, with a plastic box in the other hand. Rob's on the other side with a plastic box, and you know we're trying to get this thing. And finally, it's like eleven forty-five. Just, we just gotta go for it. We just gotta pull the kitchen and go for it. And man, you, that mouse was like you would have thought it, it had got an adrenaline shot. It was running. It skidded across the kitchen floor. It was going so fast. Did one of those, like, peel-outs, and went darted right under the stove. Gone. So, you know, we were like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll just head off to bed. And, you know, on there at that plastic tub, do you think we got it? No, we didn't. You know, it, it skidded away. It was gone. It, it got out of there. Of course not. Well, now he's dead with a few traps and a couple of his brothers too. Um, but... Uh, I will tell you, that little guy was ferociously committed in that moment to staying alive. As he even jumped out, I had him in the box at one point, he jumped out and then skidded across that floor. He was ferociously uh, committed to staying alive. It's amazing even a little mouse has that instinct to live, right? Well, human beings too. We have a remarkable instinct to live, to stay alive as well. We've all heard all kinds of stories of, heroic feats of people surviving, harsh weather conditions, right, living without food or on little water, or the hiker that gets trapped by a boulder and cuts off his arm. You've probably heard those stories that have happened, real-life stories, because they were trapped. We, human beings have this absolute desire to stay alive. From the tiniest human, right, to hu- or tini- tiniest mouse to humans made in God's image, we all have this desire to stay alive, an instinct almost here's a question I want us to ponder as we begin today. It's really the million-dollar question you'll see popping up. What makes a life worth living? What makes your life worth living? What makes my life worth living? We've got this great instinct to stay alive. What makes it worth living? If you think about your life, it's an important question, isn't it? It really is the question that everybody asks, really. Well, number one, we don't know how long we're going to be alive and yet we've got this incredible drive to stay alive as even a mouse will tell you from my little story but what makes it worthwhile here's what i need to do take a minute take just 30 seconds even and write down an answer to that question what makes your life worth living write an answer down if you got a pen write one down we're not going to share them or look at them but i want you to think about this what makes your life worth living jot one down or at least make a mental note for me so you got something in your mind Is it love? Is it your kids? Is it your career? Is it health? Is it is it is it money? Is it pleasure? I mean, if you were to ask a bunch of people, in here maybe even or on the street, you, that question, you get all kinds of different answers. What makes your life worth living? You know, or what what in you know, another way to put it, what's the good life all about? I mean, another way you could put that question, what's the good life all about? Well, a man sitting in a prison 2,000 years ago gives us the only answer. The only answer. The meaning of a worthwhile life and death. It's one of the most quoted verses from the New Testament. You've probably heard it many times. Here's what he says, Philippians 121. For me, he says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul said it from in a a prison. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live a life that's worthwhile, Paul says, It's going to be for Christ. And you know, if I die in prison, I'm going to see Jesus. You catch what he's saying here. He's saying life is all about Jesus. But not only life, he's also saying death is all about Jesus. All about Jesus. But the verse is actually even, it's actually even simpler than that. That's a pretty simple verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's probably only one simpler than that, Jesus wept, right? It's a pretty simple verse here me to live is christ and to die is gain but it's actually simpler that uh, we kind of in english expand it out we add the w- those words in there is for me to live is christ to die is gain but in the original language this is actually all it says you'll see it here living christ dying game that's all it says in the the, uh, the old manuscripts of the bible there's no is in there it just says living christ dying game gives you a better sense when you think about it that way gives you a better sense living christ dying game living christ dying gain. It's almost got a rhythm to it, doesn't it? Living Christ, dying gain. Living Christ, dying gain. One commentator called it Paul's heartbeat. Paul's heartbeat, right there. because The way he wrote it, even. Living Christ, dying gain. So it really says in the verse, For me, living Christ, dying gain. So look at what you wrote down, or, or think about what you answered. Or think about the million things that somebody, anybody could answer this question with, what makes a life worth living? And if we're honest, really, with ourselves, at different times we live, ultimately live now, for a lot of different things. All kinds of different things at different times in our life we live for. Here's a list of a lot of things people live for on the left there. Things that they live for. Now what's interesting, you look at that list on the left there, they're all really good things, aren't they? Uh, you know, to have money, to live, right? Uh, Something that's beautiful, or maybe taking care of yourself. Uh, Our kids, you know, that time of retirement life when we get to rest more and do other things rather than nine to five. Uh, Intelligence, uh, pleasure, entertainment, all kinds of things. You think about them, and I want to be clear this morning, they're good things. They're gifts from God. They are good things. They're gifts for God. But what will you live for? with our lives that are short, what will you really live for? This list, of as I said, of good things. They are that. They're good things to be enjoyed by God. But if you're living for them, if they're your life, if that's what makes life worth living for you, when you lose it, it'll feel like death. So look at both sides of the slide then. If you're living for money, what is death to you? bankruptcy right you lose all that money and it feels like death uh if you're living for uh beauty your own beauty right what's death you aging which comes to all of us right aging feels like death if you're living for your kids and they're your life when they fail you it'll feel like death or retirement right if you're only living for your retirement what would feel like death maybe having to go back to work maybe i don't know or plans that are just too fixed when you kind of want to just go or how about intelligence you're living to be the smartest uh person how about when your, your mind fails, you don't have the right answer? I just don't have the answer to that. That feels like death. One more, pleasure. Many, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest ones. If you were to ask people across our nation, they might not say it. Then what feels like death? Any amount of pain. And finally, entertainment, which we are, uh, we struggle with as parents, with kids. The kids want to be entertained. What feels like death to them? say it. Boredom, right? If you're living for it. We're all tempted to live for all kinds of things on this list at one time or another. And if you think about it, there's a lot of factors in our lives that shape that question. What makes a life worth living? What should we live for? I like this quote from a, uh, he's a, a, kind of a theologian philosopher, but here's what he said about those things that shape that question, the answer to that question. Various forces bigger than ourselves, perhaps most of all, marketing and pop culture, shape our goals, or the answer to that big question without us even realizing it. Guiding our lives for us, often in directions that if we were to stop and think about it, we'd want to resist, actually. Life becomes, for instance, then, a series of kind of just consumer decisions based on our prefaces for this or that experience, or a mad race for some vaguely defined success. You could insert there, what's the good life? What makes life worth living? All kinds of things shape our views and our opinions on what makes life worth living i sometimes think we don't even realize how much our view of the world our view our desires are shaped or how we'd answer that question of what makes life worth living how they're shaped by sources outside of us especially our kids think about how many millions of messages are pumped or your grandkids pumped towards them daily that say this is what life's about this is what the good life is this is what makes life worth living Right? Are we aware of that? We need to be. We need to be aware of that. Those messages aren't neutral. They come loaded with answers to questions of what makes life worth living. That's the what Paul is wanting to answer for us. He's saying here, the only thing, the only thing that really makes life worth living and that actually even makes death, think about this, makes death glorious, where can you say that in the world? or or corners of our culture that actually makes death attractive, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that's what Paul's saying here. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me, living Christ, dying, gain. So what does that model of a life look like? Living that life, a life worth living. Paul gives us just two we're going to talk about. Two descriptors as we unpack the rest of this passage. Just two today descriptors of what does a life worth living look like according to Paul if it's really about Jesus Christ here's here's the first one It's number two on your outline there uh, the, the life that is a life worth living is full of an ambition to honor Christ you see that in Paul's words here we're going to look at he's got this ambition to honor Christ if you got your text take a look at it we'll read through uh, 18 to 21 again Yes, and I will rejoice," he says, "for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation, there's an ambition and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with fur- full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You see, there's an ambition to honor Christ, a heartfelt passion to honor jesus and he gives us really as we think about that passage three ways three ways a christian now you you and i in real time here now bethany church in Camby, oregon can honor christ here's the first one the first one is an ambition to honor christ it's found in constantly rejoicing that's the theme of this letter it's going to keep showing up but we must need it to keep showing up because paul keeps writing about it and talking about it a constant rejoicing in jesus christ paul had just said at the end of He just ended this last section with, uh, I will rejoice. Uh, He just said, you know, I'm joyful, the last section. Uh, He says, I rejoice because Christ is being proclaimed. But he repeats it right again. That's why we kind of did 18B there, or uh, 18B. Right away again, he says, and he looks towards the future, and he says, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Despite being in prison, despite his pending trial and his possible death, he says, I will rejoice rejoice you and i bring honor to christ in our life when we rejoice in him he says constantly rejoice especially in our suffering when we look at most people's lives and there's a lack of joy now i want to be clear this does not mean that is when in your life when you go through trials in your life when you suffer, in your life when hard times come, it doesn't mean that we're always happy. right? Happiness is a great thing, but it's an emotion. And it's fleeting, isn't it? Doesn't it come and go, your happiness? It comes, it goes. It waxes, it wanes. It comes, it goes. And as Christians, we have permission, you and I, to grieve too when hard things happen. Or the death and the loss of a loved one. We have permission to grieve too. And feel sadness. Joy is something different than happiness. Joy comes from what you and I value. What we hold dearest in our heart, And it's deeper than happiness. And if you make you and I value Christ most in our life, above all things, it's the very thing, one thing that can't be taken from you. It's the very thing you can never lose once he's yours. That's why Paul can sit in prison and say, I will rejoice, whatever happens. Because he knows the one thing, the one thing that he values most, he cannot lose. And that's good news. He can't lose it. So Paul can look to his future and say, I will rejoice. How about you? How about you today? Whatever's going on in your life, what's your future going to hold? I don't know that. You don't know that. What plans do you have? I pray that this is one of them for you today. Constantly rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Or doing whatever it takes to to direct your heart back to Him. To find that joy if you haven't yet even. Constantly rejoicing. Like Paul, it brings honor to Jesus because it means you value Him most. That patterns all throughout, actually, God's Word. All throughout God's Word. People going through trials and yet finding joy in God. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, all the way through. Or think of Job for a moment. You know the story of Job? He suffered terribly. I mean, in a short time span, even. It was like a day he lost his possessions, his family, his kids. Just kind of him and his wife left. And then he was sick himself in a really short span of time. And yet Job can go through this suffering. How can you say this? How could he say this? Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground, and what? Worshipped. He worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How can somebody say that? In the middle of what he went through. I mean, how can you and I, how can we rejoice in suffering? How can we rejoice in suffering? It's when we value Jesus Christ above all things. Because it's the one thing you cannot lose. But it leads us also to uh, the second kind of characteristic of a a life that has an ambition to honor Christ. Here's what Paul knew. Here's what you and I can know today too. Not only a, a constant rejoicing, but a certain rescue is coming. A certain rescue that Paul knew about. We can rejoice. We can have comfort if we're aware that our certain... Rescue is coming. Whatever trouble we find ourselves in. Did you see that in verse 19 there? You take a look at it. As as Paul was thinking about a certain rescue. In verse 19, he says, Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of, of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. There's the rescue. This will turn out for my deliverance. Or rescue, you might say. Paul right there, he's, he's actually quoting Job, Job 13. Paul quotes Job for us in this passage where Job said, not the passage we read, but later on in Job 13 where he says, um, though he slay me, I will hope in him. He said, this will be my salvation. Those are the words of Job. We can see the mind of Paul here. In this moment of trial, in this moment of suffering, he thinks about Job. It's like we're doing today. He thinks about Job's terrible suffering. And he thinks of the words that Job used as well in that moment. This will turn out for my salvation. And he uses them. And he says, this, 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 right now. Whatever I'm going through, this will turn out for my good. This will turn out for my deliverance. This will, will turn out for my rescue. And you and I can do the very same thing. Paul did it. He thought back to Job and thought, well, Job went through a lot. And he said it's going to be his salvation. Paul says the same thing. And so you and I can do the very same thing. This will turn out. Whatever's going on right now, whatever sorrow, whatever suffering, whatever loss, whatever grief, whatever insecurity or anxiety you're feeling today, I know it's hard to say. I know you can't always know how. But we can say with Job, and we can say with Paul, this will turn out. This will some way turn out for my rescue, for my deliverance, for your deliverance, for your rescue. Don't we already know that from our letter? Philippians 1.6 said this. You see it popping up there on the screen. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will complete what He starts. He will complete His work wherever you are at today. His fatherly hand is over everything in your life, and nothing passes through into your life that hasn't already passed through His hand. As hard as that sounds, as hard as that is. But I want us to see something here. That That's talking about God's sovereignty. What comes into your life comes through His hand, through at least through His permission. Right, but look at this. In, in in his sovereignty, how does he work? What does Paul say? Look at it there again. And I think it's verse nineteen. There he says he works through the prayers of his people for each other, asking for the help of the Spirit of Christ through the prayers of his people, asking for the, the uh, from the prayer or asking for the help of the Spirit of Christ. Verse nineteen. It's in. That's what he says. Verse nineteen. He works through means. God works through other things and people. And Paul says here, he works through people, you and I, praying for one another. And praying for the power of Christ's Spirit dwelling in us, in our church, in our community, in our state, in our world. So here's what Paul's saying. Don't underestimate the power of your prayer. Don't underestimate what it does when you and I ask And pray and intercede for one another and ask the Spirit of Jesus Christ to give us strength. Paul's saying that's how he's going to deliver me. He's going to work Philippians through your prayers for me, he says. Here's some questions then. Do you pray for me as your pastor, as a new leader of this church, for the Spirit's strength? Do you pray for one another in this room? the strength of the Spirit of Jesus Christ to help us live for Him. I know you do. I know you do. Here it is. Paul says, strength comes through prayer. And that strength brings a certainty of deliverance. And that honors Jesus Christ. So pray. Pray for each other. Pray for me. Pray for each other by name. Pray for the children in this church. Pray. Paul says it brings a certainty you and I will be delivered. And it gives us a strength. All right, so ambition to honor Christ through constant rejoicing, through a certain rescue that comes through the prayers of God's people. And here's the last one in that section. A courageous, and a life that has ambition to honor life is a life that's got a courageous or bold representation of Jesus. We honor Christ when we live for him, when we represent him. We represent him. We, he's represented by us to the world, to others. When Paul says that he hopes uh, that Christ will be honored in him, represented, honored in him, represented, he says, "He, I hope, I, I hope that he'll be uh, honored by me. It's a certain hope. It's not the way you and I use the word hope today. How do we use it? Uh, you know, if you're young in here, you, you know, I hope she likes me. I hope he likes me. Right? Or I say, I hope the Cavs win the NBA Finals. Not going to happen. But I hope it. I'm from Cleveland. I hope that, right? Or I hope my 401K's up, right? I hope, right? That's how we use the word hope. That's not how Paul used the word hope. Paul, when he uses the word hope, there's a certainty there. There's a certainty there. His goal is to honor Christ in his life and his death. There's a certainty when he says, I hope that he's going to be honored by me. Paul has a certain hope. It is his goal to honor Christ in life and in death. He cares about that more than anything else in his life. That as he lives and as he dies, Christ will be honored. Christ will be honored. In verse 22, he mentions, he says, If I live, if I live, Paul says, it'll be for fruitful work. It'll be for fruitful work. He says, if I live, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to l- work for him with fruitful work. He means What he means by that is, if I live, my faith won't stay private. I'm going to represent Christ through fruitful work. It won't stay private. My honoring, honoring Christ it, by my faith, it, it doesn't say stay private. I'm going to live for Christ. What that means is that you and I continue to live, the way we honor Christ is when we represent him. We see fruit come out of our life. We speak for him. We love others. We share his gospel. It means that our faith has to go outside these walls. It's got to go outside these walls. That's what Paul meant when he said it from inside a prison. If I live, fruitful work for Christ will happen. It goes outside these walls. That's a high calling. That's a hard calling. And even the Apostle Paul knew he hadn't perfected that. That's not what he's asking. Because even later on in this letter we're going to see, Paul says, I haven't attained the goal. There's grace for me, Paul says. There's grace for us, Paul says. Paul knows he isn't perfectly living for Christ. And if he goes on living, he's not going to live perfectly for Christ because Christ was already perfect for him. That's what he knew. And that gave him hope to keep living because he understood grace. That he could live and he could try and he could make effort for Christ knowing that even if he failed, the grace and mercy of Jesus was available for him. Grace. It was out of that grace even that motivated Paul to live for Christ. But he moves forward with this unstoppable mentality. He says, even if I die, Christ will be honored at my death. Think about that. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? I mean, most people think of that question, they think death. They go to death. Paul says it's the best thing. I mean, think about how countercultural that is. Paul says the best thing that could happen to you and I Is death. Now he's not promoting um, leaving life early or hastening that yourself or an escapism mentality like, I just got to get out of here. I got to get out of this place, right? That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that if I know, if I do die, I will instantly be in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what he's thinking. To die is gain. I'll instantly see Jesus right away. No lapse time no place i got to go to be held for uh, hundreds of years till everybody else dies or Jesus comes back. I'll instantly see Jesus, he says. And he's got that eternal mindset, you might call it, that if I die, I'll be with Jesus forever. And it makes him bolder in the here and now. It makes him more courageous in the here and now because he's got an eternal perspective. I call it eternity amnesia. That's what we have eternity amnesia wake up in the morning and every day i get so earth focused right that i forget that eternal perspective that i don't become much earthly good because i can't think long term as well and i lose my boldness cuz i forget to die is gain i'll see jesus i'll be with him forever to die is gain Paul said. And when we think that way, it actually makes us more fruitful in the here and now. But I forget that. Don't you forget that? I live so here and now, I can't see above, you know, your heads in front of me. I cannot, like, look up and go, oh, there's a bigger picture here. Eternity with Jesus. That's how Paul's thinking. And it makes him more bold there. Do you see the power, kind of, of this perspective? Take a look at this quote. This is kind of just a paraphrase of it. It's from a guy, Tony Morita. It's a commentary I was using. You see the power of this perspective. Here's Paul. Kill me, I'll be with Christ. Let me live, I'll live for Christ. Make me suffer, I'll experience joy and get rewarded by Christ. This is the unstoppable mentality of the Apostle Paul and it can be ours as well if we treasure Christ above all things. If you treasure Christ above all things. Bethany Church, this can be ours. This can be yours as an individual even today as you think about this. This can be yours if you treasure Christ above all things. That's the first characteristic of a life worth living is that ambition to honor Christ by constant rejoicing, certain rescue, courageous representing of him. It's so clear Paul has that desire to be with Christ which moves him forward. It's the second characteristic of a life worth living. Here it is. Do you have that desire to be with Christ like Paul does? A desire to be with Christ. That's the two characteristics. It's the second one now. Of What does a life look like that's worth living? What's a life look like that honors Christ? Did you see that in verses 22 to 23 as we read it? Paul's hard-pressed, he says. He uses those words. I'm hard-pressed. It means he's, he's perplexed. He's debating. He's thinking back and forth in his mind. I'm hard-pressed. Which one will it be? Which shall I choose? Am I going to live and serve in ministry or... Or am I going to depart and be with Jesus, which is is far better? So we're looking at Paul's indecision. He's got some indecision going on. He's undecided. He's hard-pressed. What am I going to do? Does my life go on and do I live for Jesus? Or or am I going to depart and and see him face-to-face, which is far better? It is. It's far better. But his indecision really shows us the value of both, living for Christ, and dying and being with him there's value if i live he says there's value if i die but he says i've got a desire though and my desire really is to be with christ but that's far better it's kind of like a win-win for him you want to go on vacation to hawaii or fiji right it's like it's hmm, pretty good i don't know that's, a, that's kind of a win-win or wherever you'd want to go put two insert two names in there it's a win-win situation for him both are great But he has this strong desire to depart and be with Jesus. Paul's not afraid of death. Can you imagine that? Paul's not afraid of death. Because he knows to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Instantly. Instantly in Christ's presence. Do you think about death this way? It's one of the number one fears of humans. Crazy enough, it's public speaking, it's number one usually. Number two is death. uh, It's the way it is. It means you'd rather be in the coffin at your funeral rather than giving the eulogy, which is strange, but that's what that means. (laughs) I didn't make that joke up, but I heard that one. (laughs) But death is up there. Do you think about death this way? Is there hope in the thought of your own death? And if there is, is that hope Jesus Christ? You know, I've often asked people this hypothetical question. You know, do, you, do you have hope in death? But here's the real question to ask. It's hypothetical because it will never happen, but if you were to find out right now that you could depart, you could leave, you could go to, leave earth and go to heaven, it'd be fantastic and wonderful, but you found out Jesus wouldn't be there. What would be your response? How would that impact you? Would you still want to go? That's an obvious. Hypothetical. but you still want to go? A few years back, my wife and I went to Europe for—I guess you call it a baby moon. It's a trip, big trip before you have your first child, just to get out there and go. And we went to to Europe, and it was great. We loved kind of exploring history and sometimes museums and old cities. And we were flying from LA to Paris, LA airport. Yeah. Not so great, right? So we we got to the airport and we were we were tired. I, figured, I mean, it might have been an early morning flight, and uh, we got there and. Uh, spent hours in the airport waiting, checking in. You know, you get on this flight. You've done this maybe a long flight, and you get in the airplane. You're inside this plane for ten hours, right? It was just long. We're getting our luggage, going through customs in Paris. We we're exhausted, and it was hours and hours and hours. And then we get we're gonna get out of the airport. I'm like, great, I'm gonna see Paris. No, we're gonna get in a train and go underground like for hours and hours. And I'm like, this is I haven't seen outside in like a day. I felt like, right. But then we finally got to our destination, our train, underground, and we sort of, uh, it was nighttime, we walked up the steps out of the subway, and I'd never been to Europe before, any big city like this, and I'm standing in the middle of Paris, like, rainy streets, and, the, like, the lights, you know, and I walk out of these steps, and I'm like, oh, wow. i have been in a plane for hours, we have been in a subway, we'd, you know, it's like, and we walk out of these steps, and I'm like, oh, I'm already like, oh, all right, and I walk, I'm like, wow, I can't believe where I'm at. I was in a plane, and, you know, I'll train. I'm I'm there, standing there. I was awestruck. I'd reached my destination. We departed, and we got to where we were going, and when we got there, I was blown away. Paul says, I'd rather depart, because he knows what's on the other end. He knows what's there. That term, depart, it's really a boating term. It's like, he says, I want to pick up my anchor, I want to get in the boat, and I want to go on that cruise. Who's been on a cruise before? couple, okay, quite a few actually. I haven't yet, someday maybe, but that's what he's saying. He's like, I'm going to get in the boat, we're going to depart, we're going to pull up the anchor, we're going to get there, and, and the destination will be amazing. Death is like that for the Christian. That's what death is. It's like getting in a boat, and this world fades away, and I'll tell you, it's much better than walking up the stairs into Paris. It's much better than a vacation in Fiji, a vacation in Hawaii, because when we get off that boat and we depart, Christ is on the other side. He's standing there to meet you, Jesus himself. It's far better, Paul says, to depart, to see Jesus. That's why you and I have hope in death. Because when we depart, we know it's on the other side, that journey. Well, Paul has got that dilemma. But he commits to be all in on the earth for the sake of God's people. It's our final thing this morning. Paul's commitment. His work was to remain or his decision was to remain and labor for God's people. What was that work? It's really our work, really. Two, verses 24 to 26 say this. He said, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary in your account. So this, that's my decision. That's what he thinks is going to happen. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again paul looks at life and he considers i could depart i could die in prison or maybe be martyred and that'd be preferable but he says you know what though i will remain to serve you church so that you progress so that you have joy and faith so that you ultimately glory in christ those are his words he commits to serve some of you've been serving at bethany for decades some of you are newer if you're part of god's people He always has something more for us to do. Until we depart, until he decides, until he calls us home, it may look different over time. We may have different seasons of serving God's people, but he's never done with you. You're never washed up, is what Paul's saying. I'm going to stay, and I'm going to live here while I'm here. To serve, what does he say? So that others around me, and so that I too, we will progress in the faith. We'll progress in our joy, will ultimately see Christ glorified. I'm going to be all in here, even though I know when I leave it'll be better. How can you live a life like this? How can you and I, a life worth living that honors Christ in life and death, that constant rejoicing in Him, that certain rescue, that courageous representing of Him, and that desire to be with Him and serve until we depart. That's what this table's about right here.